in a moment. <laughs> there we go. The, the first missionary journey that uh, Paul took, Paul and Barnabas together took this, this route. So they were working with the church in Antioch over here in Syria. And then they, they traveled to um, Cyprus where Barnabas had family. And they, they visit church people there and they're introducing people to Jesus as they go through Cyprus. And then they go up into uh, Galatia, another Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And so you'll find the description of that journey in Acts chapter, chapters 13 and 14. And so if you want to get a little bit of more background during the week, you can read those and see sort of what happened. But this is the first missionary journey. So what happened is that the church in Antioch, when there was persecution in Jerusalem and the church scattered, and some of them scattered north, and they go to Antioch. There was a large Jewish community in Antioch. And so they, they go up there, and the church in Antioch is fairly robust. You know, it has people from all over the, the Roman Empire, whether it be Africa, Carthage, you know, as well as these other parts of uh, what we would call Turkey today. And, uh, and so it's very diverse, uh, but it was still mostly Jewish at this point. But from there, they send out Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas really begin the, the Gentile mission at this point, because they may go to a synagogue, but they also uh, quickly go to the Gentile communities. And they don't stay particularly long in any of these places. They run into opposition. They have to leave. And so they leave behind churches of Jews, churches of Gentiles who've sort of been sympathetic with the Jews for you know, some time and they know about it, but also people that were just impressed with the message and, and they became Christians without ever really um, familiarizing themselves with Judaism and, and the Jewish Bible and Hebrew Bible. So very different from the original sending church in Antioch. These congregations are a mixture of backgrounds, a mixture of knowledge, and perhaps not surprisingly, after Paul leaves, all sorts of strange things start being taught. <laughs> and, and we see as we read through, we're going to say, oh yeah, there's, there's some people that are teaching wrong things, but also we're going to see a big conflict between Jew and Gentile ideas, circumcision, uncircumcision, like what's it mean to be a Christian? Okay, because we've got these um, communities that, that have different traditions, we're Jewish and Gentile. And, and we might say, well, what does Jewish and Gentile have to do with, with us today? But some of it is just about problem solving. How do we problem solve when we have different cultures that clash? Um, how, how do we work through it? What's important for us? Because different cultures uh, run into obstacles from time to time, don't we? We don't understand why other people think or do uh, the particular things that they do. And so Paul is writing back this first letter to his first churches and his concern for them. And he wants them to thrive. And I think we see that as we read through just his concern 
that, that, oh, I wish I could just be there and fix everything, but I can't, and so I've got to send this letter to you. And, uh, and so I think we can learn from what they had to experience, both from their uh, cultural differences, but also just from what do these young Christians, what do they need to be reminded of? We've already seen in chapter 1 how Paul reminds them of the gospel and then gives his life as an example of what the gospel is. As we go to the next slide in chapter 2, we're going to pick up with, uh, with Paul continuing his life story. And the next one. Thanks, Sin. Chapter 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me, God does not show favoritism, they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We, who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? 
Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For, though the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I'm no longer, and no, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And I'm reminded, when we get to a yellow patch, a yellow piece of text, I'd like you to read that, okay? And just as we go into chapter 3. I missed it. I missed it in chapter 2 there. So, uh, so follow along on the screen, and when we, we get to, to the yellow text, that's your turn. All right. Let's keep going. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. He redeemed us in order that the blessing giving, given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this.
For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. As we read through, you'll see that it's a, not an easy read, is it? There's a lot to think about, a lot of terms maybe that we're not familiar with, and that's why we'll take the next few weeks to, to unpack it. Um, but we will uh, continue just to familiarize ourselves with the Word of God this morning. morning church today i'll be reading galatians chapter four and it reads what i am saying is that as long as as long as an heir is under age he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father so also when we were under age we were in slavery under the elemental spirit forces of the world but when the set time and has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who called out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you, are, that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? 
you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I, for I become like you. You, do, you did me no wrong. As you know, it, it was become of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you or did not treat me with contempt or scorn, instead you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. Where then, where then is you blessed of me now? I can testify that if you could have done if you you have got, could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may realize you may have zeal for him, for them. It is fine to be zealous, provide, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always. Not just when I. I am with you, dear. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed with you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a freed woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the, son by the free woman was born as a result of divine purpose. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represented, the women represented two covenants, one covenant from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is a she is in slavery with her children, but Jerusalem that is above that is above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written Be glad, barren women, for you never for you never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac and children of promise, at the time the, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, it is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share an inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Thank you. We will sing this one before we take communion this morning. Your only son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty side and to become the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in 
His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died, but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called a Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. Oh, wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Continuing in Galatians uh, chapter 5. It is written for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened against, again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to test you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The kind of persuasion does not come from one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will not take another view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay a penalty. Brothers and sisters, I'm still preaching circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in flesh. Rather, serve only another <clears throat> humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, you will be destroyed by one each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll be gratified 
and you will not be gratified the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are <clears throat> not to do what, whatever you want, but, you are, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with their passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. morning church we commune together today to remember the love God the love that God had for all of humanity he became flesh to live within the carnal man to ultimately sacrifice the carnal man for the sins of the world his broken body his shedded blood to resurrect it to the spiritual man. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, we proclaim that the sacrifice was the death of the carnal man, which is where sin is bound. We're also in an agreement with the covenant. He goes, therefore, when we partake of the fruit of the vine, the bread, the Lord's Supper, not only to remember that Christ stood in our place to partake in the death of the carnal man, but it requires us to do the same, to sacrifice our carnal man and raise the spiritual man. Therefore, we are to examine ourselves before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, therefore, whosoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And in verse 28, 
a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Let us, as we partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, let us examine ourselves. Have we weakly sacrificed the carnal man? Have we resurrected the spiritual man? Let us examine ourselves as we go in to pray for the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for your many blessings. Thanking you for your love, for the world. We thank you, Father, for sending your son to sacrifice on the cross, to die, to shed his blood, to remove the sins of the world. We thank you. We thank you for this bread that we're about to receive. We pray, Father, that we will reflect and examine ourselves. And we pray, Father, that as we take this fruit of the vine, and that we will remember that it was the shedded blood that gave us the opportunity to have that relationship with you, Father, and to examine ourselves to become a spiritual man over the carnal man. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this one, please. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the 
this morning. I will be reading Galatians chapter 6. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will Fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you 
to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about their circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Never, oh, I'm sorry, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let everybody say amen.